Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest on the podcast is Brittany Gorris. Brittany is a rock climber and a total crusher, a graphic design artist, and a self-proclaimed dirt bag. For the last few years, she has been living out of her van, traveling and immersing herself in the dirt bag lifestyle to climb as much as possible and connect with amazing people. Most recently, Brittany has been enamored with the history of American climbing and in following in the footsteps of some of her heroes, seeking out and testing herself on difficult and storied routes from the past. She climbs freaking hard. At the time of this recording, she sport climbed up to 514A, having red pointed three of them. In the interview, she mentions all of them are notoriously soft, but whatever, they're still really hard routes. And she's done the first female ascent of two 13Ds on gear, City Park up in Index, Washington, and Stingray in Joshua Tree, which she just climbed earlier this month, and which we talk about pretty extensively in the interview. Along with that, Brittany published a really great write-up about Stingray on her blog at brittanygorris.com, as well as a six-minute video highlighting the send. And I definitely recommend both of those, and I will link to both of them in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. We talked about her process projecting Stingray and some supplemental training she was doing. We talked about training on the road and how she thinks about where to go next and her recent fascination with the lore of climbing. We talked about some tips for working remotely, finding fast internet, showers, free coffee, and how she approaches on-siting. And finally, we talked about finding community as a dirtbag, practicing patience, and chasing the best version of herself. Brittany is the real deal. She's out there living it, doing whatever she needs to do to get by and make it to the next climbing destination. She's climbing freaking hard, and she's still getting better. So I'm excited to see where she takes things and excited to share this interview. So please enjoy this conversation with Brittany Gorris. Well, hi, Brittany. Hello. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I thought we could jump straight into Stingray. All right. Yeah, you just sent Stingray, and I would love to hear the story about it. We actually hung out the other night, but I haven't really heard that much about the route and the process yet. So you were down in J Tree Mm -hmm. for a couple months at the start of this year. So tell me about Stingray. So I came to J Tree. There was a lot of reasons that I ended up there, but... The main ones were I had sort of suffered a knee injury that made it so that I couldn't go sport climbing in Mexico like I usually do in the winters. Mm. And I'd just sort of been getting really psyched on trad this year in general. And also, especially, I've, I've lately become really obsessed with the, uh, the sort of era of climbing when people like first started doing the dirtbag thing. Uh, <laughs> ever since I moved into my car and then moved into a van a year later... It was really infatuated with the idea of like, you know, the American dirt bag and the guys that were originally doing it would always go to J Tree in the winter because it's kind of the only place with consistently good weather. Mm-hmm. And it's like this place in my mind that I thought of as notoriously sandbagged and, and it's just like you go there to really test yourself, you know, you don't, or you go there to climb a bunch of like really easy stuff, which isn't, <laughs> isn't really my go-to. So I wanted to go to J Tree to sort of like be in the place that like all these people that I idolize from, you know, like kind of the, 
the original era of the nomadic climber and sort of follow in their footsteps. It, it was this romantic idea that I had. And so I ended up in J Tree, but um, all I really knew about the climbing there was I knew about these four climbs and they were what I saw as like the four hardest traditional climbs in the park that mm. were sort of worth doing that were really classic because there's loads of hard climbs in the park but um was this mm, just lore that had come onto your radar through yeah. hanging out with other track climbers yeah like yeah okay and uh, i knew some people that were going to be around that had mentioned some of these routes and it was equinox asteroid crack acid crack and stingray mm. and what are the grades on all four of those well the first three are all pretty similar like honestly they all felt just about the same to me equinox is 12c but it took me more tries than the other two. Asteroid Crack is uh, 13A and Acid Crack is 12D. But honestly, okay. they all... Anywhere else, any one of those climbs would be 513. But in J-Tree, you know, they're all <laughs> 512 or 13 minus at the best. Uh-huh. And then Stingray is 13D. And so I, I showed up in J-Tree without really any sort of partners or a plan or anything. All I knew was that those four routes were, were like the bulk of my tick list. And I'd fill in the rest of my days with whatever else happened. And within like the first week, I did the first three. Oh, wow. And then Stingray took me uh, another couple months (laughs) of work. Yeah, I think you said it was close to 50 tries. Yeah, something like that. Because the crux is low. And so when we started actually trying to red point it, we'd just lower down if we fell. And Mm. so because of that, the, the attempt count just... Got it. Racked up so fast. I was yeah. trying it like five or six times a day. Uh-huh. And that like, oh man. It's like in the back of my mind the whole time, I'm just like, oh, I added another five tries today. <laughs> <laughs> it just it sounds insane Does when you think you? about it. Do you think about the try count? Uh, normally I wouldn't. Okay. But on this climb, I think in my head, I kept comparing it to City Park mm. because they're the same difficulty. And that was like the only other trad climb I've done that was this difficult. And that thing took me five goes. On no kidding. Five lead goes. Five I top roped it a ton. Okay. But when I started leading it, it went down really fast. And yeah. so Stingray, as I'm just like, five goes, that was a day. <laughs> <laughs> and right. it just be, I'd be like two or three days a week of like adding another five goes. And I try really hard to not have the dialogue that I should have done something because mm-hmm. it it creates this sense of entitlement that just is like a really bad mental rabbit hole. Mm. So I tried not to think like I should have done it by now, mm-hmm. but that's kind of where my mind went sometimes where it was, it was like, man, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like, if I was ever going to do it, shouldn't I have done it by now? Huh. And so just real quickly for listeners. So you had done city park. That's a 13 D up at index Washington, like mm-hmm. a pin scar crack. You did the first female, female ascent. And that was like summer of 2018. It was 2017, 2017. No, 2018. You're right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cause it was almost gotcha. two years ago. And I think I heard you say that stingray you think might be your hardest route. Yeah. But you've also climbed three routes graded 14A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's pretty interesting. So that's kind of, I'm sure all that's playing into, oh, my gosh, I should have done this thing already. Yeah. Well, all the 14As I've done are notoriously soft. Okay. Uh, to the point that people downgrade them rather frequently. Mm. And Stingray is in Joshua Tree. And so yeah. City Park is an index. So, like, not only are both of those traditional climbs, but... They're both in like some of the most sandbagged areas anywhere. Yeah. And so my harder sport climbs, 
it's just a number. They're not actually harder than these climbs. That's yeah, that's so interesting. And you said that with Stingray, I think you worked on it so long that you were really flirting with an overuse injury. Yeah, I still it's been well, it's been a week. Was it your finger? It's yeah. I'm like staring at it as I'm talking about it because I'm just like trying to will it to look normal. As we, that's um, such a climber thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on with it, but my the knuckle of my index finger is about the size of my thumb right now mm-hmm. because there's it's it's from only one move where in the steepest part of the wall, my entire body weight is pretty much on just the first knuckle of my right index finger. And that's not the knuckle that's swollen. It's like the second knuckle. But even unlike this little picture I drew of my beta, I wrote in on like my first or second day on the route, put knuckle in, twist until it hurts. <laughs> that way I know it's not going to come out because it was kind of an insecure jam. Okay. And I don't know if it came from one specific day or just a buildup of doing it on a bunch of days. But as I made progress on the route, I started falling on that move a bunch. And so I, I rehearsed it a bunch. And then I started to notice that my finger was in increasing pain every day that I would work mm. on the route. And then it, it got really swollen. It's it's huge right now. <laughs> and oh. so it kind of felt like it was a time bomb. Then it was like I had, uh, in theory, plenty of season left to keep working on the climb, but the finger was definitely in the back of my mind. Mm. And, it, it, you know, now that I haven't been climbing on the route for a week and it hasn't uh, really gotten that much better, I'm sort of realizing that it was probably worse than I thought. Oh, and yeah. I, it's a good thing that I didn't have to keep getting after it because I think it could have really been bad. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was, it was like if I held back and tried to protect it, then I, I would not have been able to get through the moves. Yeah. So I had to just decide that it was worth the risk and the sacrifice and hope that it worked out. And yeah. it did. Yeah, nice. Luckily. Gotcha. And you've been climbing. We're in Bishop right now, and you've been climbing the last few days. You've done, mm-hmm. some, done some bouldering, and you climbed in the gorge a little bit. Is it, yeah. Is it bothering you? No. No. Okay. It, it, only, it doesn't really bother me much at all, except if I, I think if I were to climb a finger crack, it wouldn't feel so okay. great. <laughs> yeah. But even, even in like a normal finger crack, it'd probably be not terrible. I think the the thing made it so bad on Stingray is that it's so overhung. Your whole body weight is on it. You know, mm. you, your feet aren't really doing anything. Got it. So tell me more about the route. So it's a. It sounds like it's just a steep finger crack. Yeah, it's it's um, it's thirty seven moves. Okay. I counted it once because someone asked. And starts off with a pretty easy section, and then you stand on a ledge, and then you immediately launch into this crux, which is really overhung and it's the the locks are not terrible but it's just super steep and there's no feet Mm. so you have to do and and then you have to place gear in the middle of it yeah and the way we ended up doing it me and my partner who also sent the route we would take one cam and we'd put it in our mouth and we'd do the first half of the crux which is much easier because you still have your feet on a ledge or like decent feet and then we'd place the cam as quick as we could and then just gun it Hmm. and then eventually when you get through the crux the angle changes a bit and it's not as steep and you can place more gear at which point you're super run out and the the last place that you could fall before you get another piece in we never fell from there because it's pretty secure okay but we would always talk about 
the possibility of taking the whip, uh-huh. you know, like <laughs> in quotes or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but it never, luckily that never happened. Although we took so many falls that the cam that we were placing, it was a point three got pretty beat up uh-huh. it barely barely is, is still good enough to consider like a reasonable piece of gear on someone's rack <laughs> so that's the meat of the climb is just that really overhung section and what, what you see you said it's 37 moves like mm-hmm. what move count are we talking about like as far as getting to the crux or i would say the... it's i don't know it's only a couple moves to get to the the first ledge and then through the crux i don't know you do like four or five moves place the cam and then do like another six or seven okay and they each get progressively more difficult and the, the the tricky thing at least for me was that if i messed up a single jam then the next one would just get worse and mm. worse and i would fall inevitably somewhere or another so i had to have everything perfect in order to get the next one perfect in order to get the next one perfect mm-hmm. and so it felt really finicky and low percentage which is part of why it took so many tries so then eventually you get through the crux and you play skier and you climb some pretty moderate climbing, but that doesn't feel very overhung. But if you look at it from a distance, you realize it's actually still pretty steep. Hmm. And so it gets really pumpy. And then there's there's like a, a mediocre rest kind of near the top where we called it the flake, but it's it's not really. It's like a pinch and you can shake out for a while. But you're still like your feet are in the crack. You don't have any face holds except the one that you're holding on to. And then you have to do the sort of the endurance crux after all of this, which is there was one go where I fell on the very last move. Oh, like that's man. how on you it is. You could fall anywhere. Yeah. And there's like a couple more like kind of hard pin scar moves at the top where the, the crack becomes offset. And the offset kind of pushes you around this corner, but if you go over there, then you can't see the jams anymore because of the offset, and your mm. feet just don't work because they're still on the overhung part of the wall. So you have to force yourself to stay in the overhung part of the wall as opposed to trying to escape to the slab around the corner and do this kind of really insecure laybacking mm. for the last couple moves. Gotcha. And then there's a huge jug that you go to at the very end. Oh, nice. Victory jug. Yeah. How many tries would you guess between that heartbreaking try and actually doing it? Um, I did it the day after that. Nice. So Okay, not too much stress. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, it was there was a pretty strong correlation between my performance and the weather, mm. and we kept getting like one day that was really good and then a whole bunch of days that were bad. And so it was a week between when I fell off the last move and when I could go back to it. Oh, wow. Because it was, it kind of needed to be at least 60 degrees with not really much wind. And it's Mm. always windy in J-Tree. And so I I had watched. (laughs) Help help me understand that. Break that down. So it's, you needed no wind? Yeah. Because the climb is, it's, it's like you climb a slab that's, I don't know, maybe 30 meters up to get to the base of the route. So as soon as you're at the base, you're already in, you're already like pretty exposed. exposed. Yeah. And then as soon as you start climbing, I, so like if it was super windy, my hands would just be really cold before I could even start. Oh, okay. And then I just couldn't feel the rock well enough to get any of the jams right. Mm. And then I would, I would not do well because I, I couldn't like have the precision necessary to make everything perfect. Mm -hmm. And so 
it was really finicky, like trying to get the weather right. And I think if I'd just been a lot stronger, then it wouldn't have been an issue. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, always doing the best I can with what I've got. And so it was there was like a perfect day and I'd had a bunch of rest. I was super just slept really well. The weather was perfect. And that was the day I fell off the last mm, move. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like it was like, that was my chance. Mm. And the next week it was like 40 degrees or 30 degrees with like 30 or 40 mile an hour winds and like so cold that we couldn't even climb. Huh. And I had to wait, you know, like a whole week for it to be good again. And then it looked like it was going to be really nice for a couple days, but then the weather changed and there was only one day where it was going to be good enough. Yeah. And then after that, it was supposed to get really bad again. Uh So it was, it was actually, you know, like it seemed like I was really close, but at the same time, I was just watching all of these elements seemingly conspire against me that put, (laughs) you know, like Uh made me create all of this pressure in my head. Hmm. It was like, you got to do it. Like you had your perfect day. You didn't do it on the perfect day. You got to like take this next day. If you don't do it then, you know, like, Jesus, what else what else do you need? <laughs> yeah. you know? Are you someone that thrives off that kind of pressure or does that make Apparently. it harder? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's funny. I've I used to compete a lot and uh-huh. I actually I really enjoyed the pressure of competition. Okay. And I felt like I performed really well under it. But I don't have to deal with it that often now that I mostly climb outdoors. Yeah. So I, I definitely felt a little rusty at mm, okay. at managing that. Because there's I feel like a lot of my most proud or hardest sends outdoors were in situations that were at least somewhat similar in that it was like the last good weather window or mm. all my partners were leaving or, you know, like something like that where I squeaked it out. And mm. and it's like always kind of interesting to look back and be like, wait, how did I do that? And how am I supposed to do that again? Because huh. I feel like I'm a nervous wreck right now. <laughs> and. So, you know, I feel like half of it's luck, but I do seem to have some sort of a track record of making that work. Huh. <laughs> right on. Interesting. Um, I want to get into your process on that route because it's, J-Tree is so sharp. Mm-hmm. You can't climb that much. You know, nope. I, I can't imagine that you were climbing much else when you nope. were working on this route. So, yeah, what were you, were you doing anything else to stay strong, to stay fit? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah, what, what did that look like? When I got to J-Tree, I had a bunch of tendonitis come out of nowhere, okay. which I've never had before. Elbows? Um, yeah, just one, just my right. Okay. And it happened on, like, the first day, trying hmm. Equinox. It was the first thing I tried. And I think I didn't really warm up. It was cold. Hmm. But, like, that doesn't really make sense why it went from... I've never had tendonitis before in my life to this is uh, almost like it was so painful. Hmm. And I started my J-Tree season trying to navigate that and not really wanting to do anything that would make it worse, but also not wanting to compromise my goals. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of got, it gradually got better. Stingray was actually really good for it. I think because of the, almost all of the jams I did were with my thumb pointing up, like pinky pointing down, which... I think was opposite of the direction of the things that were causing it in the first place, okay. holding cracks the other way yeah. with like your thumb pointing down. So it it seemed like the root was not doing, not making it worse, but I was really afraid of any training bringing back the tendonitis. Mm-hmm. And so I was choosing what I was doing deliberately with that in mind. And so my partner Prith was hangboarding a lot to build up more, you know, pocket strength 
for the pin scars okay. and to just, and he was doing a lot of weighted pull-ups and things because the wall is so steep, you know, you, and you kind of camp a, a decent amount, um, hmm. at least for him because he's much shorter than me and couldn't use as many of the feet. Like actually fully campusing or is he like yeah, just pacing like, feet? And no, try- fully campusing. Wow. If you watch the videos, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So much harder than what I had to do. Oh, man. <laughs> but, um, so I, I didn't want to do the same training as him and any hangboarding or weighted pull-ups or anything like that, even though that was what I needed to work on as well. Mm. I needed more lock-off strength and I don't know, more finger... I don't know if I needed more finger strength. I didn't train my fingers at all. But um, so I I was like really afraid of injuring myself. And so I just... I have gymnastic rings and I would sling them off of boulders Uh and I would do workouts on these rings and that's pretty much all I did. I, w- I would run, and as soon as the new year started, I, I started and st- I started working on it really seriously. I got really serious about like diet and being as healthy as I could, mm. and that helped a lot. Like I could feel myself getting in shape, and I was getting back to like my more fit, a sort of climbing ability uh-huh. after the holidays, where you know I was eating. <laughs> like crap and just kind of like were you down there for the holidays or did you bounce uh, home to no i was there okay yeah nice <laughs> it was it was a uh, crazy was a party yeah <laughs> i imagine it was and so yeah i i trained pretty hard for stingray but what were you doing um, with the rings um i'd mainly trying to do things that would at the same time work on lock off strength and be antagonistic for so a lot of pushing stuff like push up okay. type things and then also some some like row type things. Okay. And it was it was really hard to find a places to set them up. I would yeah. move campsites a lot. Okay. And each campsite was like a new challenge. <laughs> like where am I going to put these things and and that was interesting. Normally I look for trees, but you can't hang them on the Joshua trees or just uh-huh. pull the tree over, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'd get kicked out of the park for sure. <laughs> Hey, wait, I haven't sent my project. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what was what was Prith doing? How was he doing his weighted pull-ups and his fingerboarding? So he has this uh, contraption in his van that he oh, sets okay. up that's like this giant metal tripod okay. that he would hang the, a hangboard off of. Yeah. It's super cool. I So because he's a lot shorter than me, if I try and use it, my oh. knees are on the ground. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't use it. Yeah, that was my next it. question. Got it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. Okay, so when we were hanging out the other night, you were talking about how you tend to either be on or off. Yeah. Like, you're either, like, not really worried about it. You're just kind of, you you were describing, like, if you're really motivated, then you're eating right. You're sleeping right. You're doing your, your stretches every day. Like, you're yeah. doing anything and everything. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see what that looks like. Like, when you say you're on, you're, let's, let's start with eating. What does mm-hmm. eating right look like when you're getting ready for something like Stingray? Well... Uh, I think the best way to answer that is to compare what sort of my life looked like around Thanksgiving <laughs> to what it looked like come New Year. Perfect. And so right around Thanksgiving, I was in Indian Creek and the weather got really bad, but I was kind of waiting it out through Thanksgiving mm. and you know, Halloween had just happened and just like the whole holidays time of year doesn't really bring out the best in terms of fitness uh-huh. because... <laughs> Uh, so it was it was really cold. So I sp- we spent a lot of time just kind of hanging out and not climbing. So already physical activity went down, but um, I just was kind of in vacation mode. Mm-hmm. And we made pizza. 
like once or twice a week in my friend's RV. Mm-hmm. We made, there was a week where I think like a week before Thanksgiving where we made brownies every single night. <laughs> and yeah. one night we made brownies and cinnamon rolls because you had an <laughs> oven. And you know, if you do, if you eat desserts, that's fine. I eat desserts all the time. But if you're like eating a, a sixth of a tray of brownies every <laughs> night for just every night, you know, it's, it's gonna impact your climbing, but there wasn't much climbing to do because it was snowing. So it didn't matter. So it was like, yeah, I'm going to take this time and I'm going to enjoy hanging out with my friends Yeah, and you know, I'll get back in shape when the time is right. Nice. And so what started out as that turned into bad weather kind of following me everywhere. Mm. And Thanksgiving kind of turned into Christmas, turned into New Year's. Uh, and by the time New Year's came around, it felt like I hadn't been taking care of myself for quite some time. And so, you know, I had to make a really conscious effort to change my habits for a while mm-hmm. because I knew that I couldn't do the route in my current, in the state that I started trying it in, you know, okay. just out of shape. Jaytree's not really the place where you get in shape. Yeah. So I had to like really make an effort. Uh huh. I couldn't just climb a lot because you only climb like three pitches a day. Right. It's too sharp. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I I started like really just focusing on eating the right things. I stopped drinking. I think from when I started working the route till when I sent it, I drank once or twice. Okay. And after coming off of the holidays, that was a big transition. Uh huh. And. You know, like I, I always try and stretch, but I started stretching really diligently, being really, you know, focused on making sure that I would do all of the ring workouts that I was talking about. And it wasn't even just doing them. It was timing them so mm. that I wouldn't be sore at all on the days when I tried Stingray because usually they would make me sore for two days. Okay. So I would do them the same day that I did Stingray. And then I would have another day after that, that would be kind of a throwaway climbing day where I would do something else, mm. but it couldn't be anything I couldn't, I really like off with climbing and I was doing a lot of off with climbing in J tree at first, but it made me just wrecked Mm. for like days on end in all the weirdest places. So I kind of had to stop doing that because I knew that it would make me like really sore. And so I would like time it with the workouts and then the, the climbing on the, the off days and then the rest days. And it was like this super regimented thing because I wanted to, get this done fast Mm -hmm. you know not fast as in under 50 tries but fast as in you know like i'm not just gonna faff around and i'll do it when i do it you know like Mm -hmm. i want to i want to like really give it my best Mm -hmm. and so giving it my best meant being all in and doing not just like these things half-assedly but really like trying to you know make it happen yeah yeah bring your best self to it Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting. So you you were describing how it sounds like pretty quickly you had it kind of sussed out and you're giving it burns from the bottom. Yeah. But then it sounds like it's also really sustained and it's pumpy and you could fall mm-hmm. off, fall off at the top. So, um, and my the first thing my mind jumped to was what were you doing to either maintain or build the fitness to be able mm. to make sure you finished the route once you made it through the crux. So I didn't actually train endurance very hard. Okay. I felt like I came into the project with a decent amount of endurance. Okay. The thing that I was lacking was like just physical strength mm. to get through the crux moves. The falling at the top, it was it happened a few times, but it was it was like half mental and half endurance. Huh. But I I kind of 
came into it with enough bass that that was not as much of an issue. Okay. But we did, there's there's like a long boulder problem called the Gunsmoke Traverse, and we would run laps on that sometimes, but okay. I didn't end up doing it that much. Um, Pris did it more because endurance was more of a crux for him than the, the strength. Gotcha. So Describe that. What is that Traverse like? Oh, it's it's like a V3 or a V4. It's really popular, so it's kind of funny. We would show up and we would be trying to train on this boulder problem. That's it's quite long. I don't I don't know how long, but you're just like kind of traversing rails with bad feet. Okay. And then you you jump off, wait five minutes, do it again. Okay. Know. Is it like a okay. full root length? You'd say. Um, in Joshua Tree, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not in many other places. Uh, okay. And it's it's not overhung or anything, Maybe but like thirty or forty feet or something. It's kind of like a lot of easy moves, and then a couple hard moves, and then some easy moves, and okay. you know, if you force yourself not to rest, then you get pretty pumped. And, mm. and so we would like show up and run laps on this while everyone's projecting it and try not to be too obnoxious about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Got you. One more question I had about your on and off thing. What about sleep? Mm-hmm. Do you, how do you think about that? Um, I don't have any like specific things that I did, but just making an effort mm-hmm. to not stay up super late okay. or, or anything. I did have a bit of a crux with, so in, um, in J tree, they do climber coffee every weekend Okay. and Saturday, Sunday you get free coffee and free coffee is not the kind of thing that you just turn down. <laughs> and so if I was trying the route on the weekends, sometimes I would have just way too much climber coffee <laughs> and I would be like so shaky and jittery and like unable to control my heart rate. It was actually a problem. And so that sort of plays into getting enough sleep so that I didn't feel the need to drink way too much coffee. <laughs> okay. But it was more of just an issue of discipline mm. that I had to, you know, have a limit and not show up with like a giant thermos and then end up drinking the whole thing in the span of 20 minutes. Uh-huh. But to be like, no, I'm going to bring like a little cup or I'm just going to, you know, like ration this throughout the day or, yeah. or anything like that, because it was, <laughs> it was more of a problem than I'd like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm curious. Do you feel like you need a project like Stingray to get to that place, that on place where you're doing all those mm, things? Not necessarily. Okay. But I do, there does need to be some sort of catalyst because if I'm not inspired by something, then I'm probably, you know, like I'm very goal oriented and driven. Mm-hmm. And if there isn't a goal, then I don't know what would inspire me to, to really make that much effort. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I can find the drive from other things. Like I know last spring I got into really good shape because of the people I was around. Hmm. Not so much a project, but I was in the creek and everyone was really focused on climbing hard and not like lifestyling. Hmm. And so they weren't just like, you know, hanging out, having parties every night. They were really serious. And I fed off that energy and translated it into my own climbing and was very much in the in the sort of like driven on mode and I didn't have a goal, mm. but, you know, it was a lot of, like, smaller goals and, like, projects that I'd do in a day or two. And that was really nice and rewarding. But, okay. So it can come from other places. It doesn't always come from, like, a huge project or a dream or a goal that I'm working towards. But gotcha. that is, like, definitely the, the thing that makes it the, makes me the most motivated. Okay. Are you able to enjoy the off mode? 
Oh yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> the whole point is well, is like relaxing. The reason and... I asked that is because I think I'm like chronically uh, chasing the thing that helps me find the on mode because yeah. I have a I have a hard time like just leaning into the off mode and embracing mm-hmm. it and enjoying it because there's like some element of guilt or like what I should be doing. Oh or, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you how do you think about that? Do you struggle with that at all? I absolutely. Okay. It's always on my mind. Yeah. Like. If I, <laughs> it's funny, it's the grass is always greener scenario. Okay. When I'm in the on mode, uh, athlete mode or performance mode or whatever you want to call it, I I pine for the, for the enjoyment uh-huh. and the relaxation and the liberation of not obsessing over this thing. Yeah. Or, you're like, I want to send so I can eat yeah, a brownie again. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you're, you're like giving a red point go and you're like, oh, I'm going to do it now so that I can have a good, like a, a treat myself dinner or whatever. Uh huh. <laughs> You're like doing it for that reward so that you can relax. And then if I've been in this like vacation mode for too long, I I don't feel like myself. And Mm. I feel like I'm like, this isn't my best self and I want to be that. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of always, you know, a back and forth of, Mm. of trying to find a balance of embracing wherever I'm at. And at the same time, like remembering that I will at some point switch gears and go back to the other thing Hmm. you know definitely like if i'm if i'm in an off sort of phase for too long then it starts to get worse like mentally because you know like i do start to see effects in my climbing and it'll affect my confidence and i can't let it go too far basically yeah but you know like i climb for many reasons and not all of those reasons are accomplishment and goals and things so much of it is about you know like enjoyment and community and making connections with people and enjoying my life and yeah and a lot of those things are easier to find when I'm a little more relaxed Mm -hmm. and having that in balance with having the side of climbing that gives me purpose and fulfillment and achievement they need to both be there Mm -hmm. in balance yeah do you think there's any possibility that there's like a sweet spot that's kind of in between the two or do you think it's more about balancing the teeter-totter like switching up and down you know like there's always going to be some on and some Mm -hmm. off yeah how do you think about that i think that that probably is different for every person what about for for me yeah i usually find myself doing one or the other okay i don't find myself in a medium zone too often because then you're not really getting the benefits of either one. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I find I think that I I'm a very disciplined person, but only in very specific ways. Okay. Which is like I I either have the discipline to be all in or I just choose to turn it off. Uh-huh. And I don't know that I can be just like moderation all the time because there's it's kind just, of this yeah. paradox thing where I think that's way harder. Like, mm-hmm. I think when you make a single decision, you know, when you're yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to do everything I need to do to maximize my chances of doing this route. Mm-hmm. You've made the decision already and it's yeah. really not that hard to stick to it. Yeah. Whereas with your, for, at least for me, if I'm like trying to tread that moderation line all the time, yeah. it's just like you make a thousand decisions every day. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. You know, it's like if I'm in ultra performance and... Then I, I'm going to say like, okay, I do not drink any alcohol mm-hmm. as an example. And then if you're like towing this moderation line, you might be like, one is fine. Uh-huh. But then what's the difference between one, one night, zero the next night, two the night after that, uh-huh. zero the uh-huh. night after that. Uh-huh. 
And then what's the difference between that, between two every single night? Mm. You know, it's just like such a slippery slope mm-hmm. where I really respect people that can do it. Yeah, me too. But it's not me. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> right on. So it's cool to hear you uh, hear you talking about your community and finding the people that were psyched. And then also it's important for you to find the people that can allow you to be a little bit more relaxed. I was kind of surprised. We were hanging out the other night and I... You seem like someone who's really clued into climbing history. That mm-hmm. seems to be important to you. And you seem, at least from my perspective, you're seeking out specific objectives because of the relevance in the history. And I kind of assumed you planned your J-Tree trip for mm-hmm. those four routes, you know? like Yeah. I was kind of surprised to hear that like you basically never know where you're going next. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're just like, you said, it was cool. You were talking about how it's important to you to chase like a certain kind of hang. Like that's yeah. what you look for more than anything. Mm-hmm. And where you're going next is like, where am I going to find community and a good hang and a place that's going to allow me to fulfill these other needs I have as a human yeah. beyond just climbing. So yeah, tell me how you think about that. Well, you know, you there is there is like the need to find inspiring climbs. Okay. Like for sure. But I know that if I find a climb I really want to do in an area that I don't want to be, then I'm not going to have a good time working on it and mm. it's not going to be a meaningful experience. You know, I'm I'm just going to be miserable the whole time and at that point like what's the point? Mm. And so I do I choose the places I go and I mean, like, I'm not going to go somewhere that doesn't have any hard climbing mm-hmm. just because it has, like, a really great scene or something. I, I don't know what what that would be. Like, there's a, there's places where I've done all of the climbs that are the things that would challenge me. Uh-huh. And I even though I loved that area and it had everything that I look for in, in a good destination, I probably won't go back because okay. there's nothing for me to do there. Yeah. But if I'm picking somewhere, wherever's next, you know then I do really consider what the social scene looks like there because I I live in a van. I travel most of the year. So I don't really have a place that I consider home except for these climbing areas. And so I do want there to be sort of a sense of place. Mm. And the community is what defines a sense of place mm-hmm. to me. So I, I choose the destinations I go based off of like, the, this community thing is so important to me because I want it to feel like home. I want I want to like have a connection with where I am. And if I'm sleeping on the side of the highway just so that I can work on a hard route and <laughs> the only people I'm with are like my one partner or, you know, like whoever random person I ask to belay me at the crag, I'm not going to leave that being like, wow, that place was special. Hmm. I'm going to leave that being like, ugh, finally never, I'm never free. Coming, I'm yeah, done. Never like, get me out of again. here. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like if I go somewhere where I can meet new people who can make the place mean something to me, then I'm going to be motivated to stay for a long time. I'm hmm. going to be motivated to work on something that inspires me because I'll want to be there. Mm-hmm. And that has driven a lot of my decision making and i think like the history thing plays into it too because the people that i really admire and want to follow in their footsteps and do the routes that they did were kind of the people that were climbing full time and so they were mm. they were traveling in a similar way where they, they were would travel for similar things yeah they were following the seasons they were traveling like with all the other 
people doing the same thing like in in a posse or with their crew and and so they weren't just like going to these lonely areas and they were looking you know like they didn't all have like fancy sprinters that could just bivy in the city mm-hmm. you know or something they they were like were sleeping under the stars a lot of the time and so they kind of needed to be in these wild places that you know inherently foster the sort of things that I'm looking for mm-hmm. so it, it kind of it's all tied together yeah right on that's cool I, I that just my mind just jumped to something do you so you clearly you've you've spoken about how you romanticize the dirtbag thing, and I think mm-hmm. you're like living it out in like the best way possible. It's really great to see. <laughs> Do you think it ever makes climbing harder? Versus mm-hmm. like, I mean, if I compare climbers to basically any other athlete, like most other athletes are pretty pampered outside of the really hard work that they're doing to get better yeah. at their sport. And I think it's funny, you know, it's so different in climbing where like a mm-hmm. lot of the top climbers are just like really rough in it all the time yeah <laughs> but like it probably doesn't help i don't know but yeah what, no, are, your, it doesn't. what are your thoughts on that <laughs> so um i lived out of my honda crv for a year yeah and now i have a van and <laughs> how um, tall are you i'm 511 <laughs> <laughs> and so that actually is relevant because uh even though i've moved up to something a little more bougie i so I, I walk around in my van all hunched over yeah. a lot of the time yeah. because I, I'm just too lazy to like, you know, it's just like I can't stand up and yeah. I, I want to be sort of standing. So I'll just be like bent in half. And so my back is kind of sore all of the time. Oh. <laughs> and like, yeah, I've, I've always like slept pretty well in my vehicles and that wasn't really an issue. And, but, um, uh, when I lived in my CRV, I didn't have a stove cause I didn't have space for it. Yeah. So I cooked all of my meals in a jet boil i ate a lot of soup for a year yeah for a year wow a lot of times i would collaborate with people that had a stove yeah but it's just like all of these little things it's like yeah that's pretty different than an athlete who trains in the gym and then they go sit in the sauna you know or whatever they go to like a dining hall where someone feeds them (laughs) amazing meals yeah they have a meal plan no i'm i'm like kind of sore all the time and you know, if I if I go to a hot springs, it's a luxury, you know, because uh-huh. I can actually be relaxed for once. I'm I'm cold all of the time. Yeah. I just run cold, and you know, most of the time you're just in cold places in general too, and mm-hmm. or you're like sitting around a campfire for half the night because it gets dark at four p.m. or whatever, and and yeah. so you're like, my back will get sore from being hunched over in a camp chair, and my legs yeah. get sore from driving. I drive so much, and it's like obviously all of these things factor into the fact that, you know, like I am trying to perform at a pretty high level and, and I have to like deal with all of this stuff, but you know, it's like, it's a small price to pay at the okay. end of the day. Got you. Yeah. You're probably doing a lot more things that are good for your body than mm-hmm. most of most people that are working in like a cubicle all day. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah Except so. for, I, I should probably wear more sunscreen, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like bummed to hear about the camp chair because I was hoping to get some beta from you. Like I know you, you work, what, 20 hours, 20, 30 hours a week or yeah. something too. So I'm noticing I'm sitting in this like kind of, it's basically like the polar opposite of lumbar support. It's like the <laughs> yeah. worst possible shape for your lower back support. I hate those chairs. Yeah, like I, I know. I think Actually. I need to upgrade. But I was hoping you had like camp chair beta personally i prefer the the bigger ones i don't know how to describe since we're speaking on a podcast i don't know how to describe the differentiation but the um send me a link i'll just, link to it on amazon just or the, the well they're, they're just really cheap you know like five dollar ones that yeah. you buy at walmart or something okay. that, where you sit more upright 
you know, mm. so it'll be like they pack into like a really long kind of cylinder and then they fold out and uh-huh. they usually have a cup holder. Got you. Yeah, and I know exactly what you're talking rests. about. The Just really generic. They're still kind of saggy though. Yeah, I mean, they're not great. Yeah. <laughs> but they offer, the thing is, I I move around a lot when okay. I sit, you know. And, nice. Um, they offer multiple positions, whereas like mm. the, you're like in a bucket seat kind of thing. Yeah, I'm locked in. You know, I'm like <laughs> you can't to... move at all. Yeah, and I I hate those. And you're low to the ground, and the alternative is a crash pad, which is kind of nice. Okay. And then the worst option is uh <laughs> the little the tripod thing where it's just oh, it's yeah. like three legs yep. and a stool. Yeah. And no backrest, and you just kind of sit on this like three-legged thing <laughs> they're so bad i don't know why anyone would buy one i've never tried one <laughs> do you, what is your work setup in your van how do you do that um i usually can't work too well in my van okay because the work i do drains my laptop battery too fast oh that's right you're you're camped out at starbucks um, today yeah i have like solar and and everything but it just it just no matter what i kind of use too much power to okay. really be able to do too much for my van and you do graphic design? But, um, yeah, I, I do graphic design. Okay. And it's not so much that I need internet because the work I do doesn't really need the internet, mm-hmm. but I need to plug in to mm. something. So usually I I make it work in like a library or a coffee shop or oh, okay. anything like that. I can work for a bit in my van, but inevitably my laptop will die and then I'll charge it off my van and then my van will not have any solar and I'll have to sit around with a headlamp on at night because uh-huh. I killed my battery. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. It happens like too frequently. Do you just work every rest day? Yeah. Okay. Well, You're able to work on your own schedule? Yeah. And it, it's tricky a lot of times because I'll have to drive into service or somewhere that I could work. Mm. So you know, like in J-Tree, I was driving into town every three days or so, Okay, which it really adds up. And like Indian Creek's really hard because it's it's pretty mm-hmm. far to get into town, and if you carpool with someone, then you leave really late and you don't get a full day. Mm. And then there's also kind of always this FOMO that everyone else is either climbing oh, or yeah. they're they're like doing something fun on a rest day. So trying to like be disciplined and not not like let that convince me to not work. It's difficult, and I don't always succeed. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any favorite rest day activities when you're not working? Uh, just spending time with the people okay. around me. I really like games, mm. so playing games. Okay. Um, what kind of games? Well, I don't have very many. Board games? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really like card games and board games. Okay, nice. Big fan of Settlers of Catan yeah. that you can play in my Vaughn. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I just named my van that Vaughn, so you could play Catan in my Vaughn. Catan. Catan the Vaughn. Right on. Catan the Vaughn. <laughs> no, I like to like go running on rest days sometimes. Do you think that helps you then, climbing? No. <laughs> I find it therapeutic mentally. Okay. Like when I was working on Stingray, I went for a lot of runs because I was just so stressed all the time hmm. and they would really help me clear my head. And okay. if I'd had a bad day, I could kind of like get out all of the bad things I was feeling and find some focus hmm. again. And is, that, is that your main way to, to, to try to get to that space? I yeah, I find it. I find it works pretty well, but it also okay. is really hard on my knees. And okay. I, so I, I'm kind of limited in the amount that I could do that, but also stretching. I I really like to stretch a lot, and okay. that's that's kind of the other the other way that I can relax and and feel like I'm being productive on rest days. Gotcha. 
You try, have you ever tried meditation or anything like that? In my own way. Okay. I, I don't think that the I I consider some things I do as, as a bit of meditation, but I don't think that they really look like what most people would think of when they picture meditating. Okay. Because for me, I'm usually listening to music mm. and, you know, like, or, and like doing an activity. Okay. But like, I am doing it with the intention of just thinking hmm. and, and like being alone with my thoughts um but it's never like me sitting in silence cross-legged going home you know or like you know like whatever stereotypical thing you think of or or you know um actual guided practice or or anything like that what kind of an activity if you don't mind oh you know like running or stretching okay i I would say those are like the the main main ones so you put some tunes on and just kind of get lost in that or like a lot of times before i fall asleep I'll like intentionally leave the lights on and not go to bed because I want to just, you know, like think for a while. Huh. Okay. Like think about my day and, or like something I want to think about. Like if it's a climb or if it's like work or whatever it is. Uh huh. Oh, I was asking you about your writing the other day because mm-hmm. you're a good writer. Oh, um, do you journal at all? Um, I used to. I used okay. to journal a lot, but. Nowadays, not so much. I, I write a blog, but that's only, I'll write like a story about a climb I've done or a place I've been kind of like once every two months or so, okay. I'd say. So it's it's pretty intermittent. Got it. Not like any sort of daily. I, I make an effort to jot down like a sentence or two every day. Okay. I have like a, a, I do have a journal and I'll try and keep track of just like what I did, you know. Okay. Just for the sake of like validating each day Mm -hmm. i would say and being like this is the what was memorable or like what meant something to me that i did each day kind of even if it's just i climbed this yeah or i hung out with these people or i took a shower (laughs) (laughs) do you ever go back and review you know not as often as i should I think, I mean, there's so much to just writing it down Mm -hmm. whether or not you go back to it or not i did for all of 2019 I wrote down every single day where I was, and okay. I did at the end of the year look at it and calculate how many days I spent in each place I went. Oh, that's which cool. is really cool to look at. Yeah, because it didn't. It was not what I was expecting. Really? Well, yeah. What did you find? I well, I just I thought that I had spent more time in some places than others, and it turns out that I hadn't. Like I, I thought that I had spent more time in Seattle, where my job is based, mm-hmm. and it actually. Because I was I was going back and forth between Seattle and Squamish all summer, mm-hmm. and I ended up being in Squamish twice as much as Seattle, I think. Oh wow! And huh? And then I I ended up spending only like a total of like fourteen days in Index huh. or something, something really small. Where uh-huh. I looked back on it and I was like, this is one of my favorite places on earth, and I was barely there this year. Like, oh, interesting. Kind of like made yeah. me think about like what am I gonna do next year and. And is this like how, I mean, like I don't really make plans too far in advance. You Uh mentioned that earlier and it's, it stays true, but I do like look at it, you know, like where I've spent a lot of time and it does influence where I want to go in the future. Yeah. Cause I don't want to just, you know, do the same circuit every year. Mm. Well, part of me does the part of me that like (laughs) kind of fears the unknown and change and switching it up. But like, well, and it's also been great. It's been working for you and you've been successful. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is cool to like keep those things in mind. It's so interesting to me that we can, 
you know, take like your experience in index. Like we can, it's so fascinating that we can forget the things that are so good, mm-hmm. forget to do them. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love that place. Why haven't I been going there? Yeah. <laughs> like, but we do it all the time. Right. I, I do it all the time. I mm-hmm. just forget to do the things that I, that make me super happy. Yeah. And we need reminders. <laughs> yeah. And time just like gets away too, you know, uh-huh, yeah. like being back in Bishop is kind of weird because it feels like I've spent so much time here, but I haven't been here in six years. Hmm. Like that's a long time. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. And like it, some of my favorite places, like, um, Bishop's not one of my favorite places. Maybe that'll change while I'm here, but like it hasn't been in the past, but like one place that is, is tent sleep. And I haven't been there in like four years mm. just because I don't know, I'm doing other things and, mm-hmm. and I'm always kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, God, I got to get back there. I, I love that so much. And, yeah. And then just doesn't happen. Hmm. But it doesn't happen because I'm doing something else that's great, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to dig into the bishop thing, actually. So it's it's kind of interesting. I met you back in college. We went, both went to Western Washington University mm-hmm. in Bellingham. And we just had this scrappy little bouldering gym at the rec center. <laughs> and you were, I think you were coaching, right? You yeah. You were coaching like the comp team or something? Yeah. And, um, and I started out bouldering. Had you climbed much before that? Yes. Okay. Had I've you... been climbing since I was a kid. Okay. Because you grew up in like Fort Collins, right? Mm-hmm. Were yeah. you So you'd done some sport climbing and trad climbing already or mostly? I'm not trad. Okay. Um, I was a gym rat as a kid. Okay. I never really climbed outside, but mm-hmm. I learned to lead within the first like month of learning to climb. Okay. I was in like fifth grade. Nice. And I just, I took all the classes. Oh, right and I joined on. all the clubs that I could and, and climbed, you know, like in the gym a lot yeah but i would always like really enjoy taking falls in the gym we would do that all the time just for fun <laughs> okay. cool. um, Good for you. but i never climbed outside and okay. i didn't even climb outside much in college kind of like we would go to bishop mm-hmm. um but it wasn't even like really the people i was hanging out with too much i it's kind of random the the large group that went to bishop i was always kind yeah. of like on the fringe of it okay and uh i think that's kind of why i didn't really ever fall in love with bishop huh is that i didn't really ever feel like i fit in super well with that crowd interesting because it wasn't like i hung out with these climbing team people most of the time and and most of them were doing other things over winter break oh, okay so i didn't I, that was kind of like i i didn't really fall in love with climbing outside and i didn't really fall in love with bishop mm-hmm but I did enjoy it. It was fun, but it wasn't like, it didn't really fill me with passion the way that like the comp climbing was doing for me at the time. Okay. And I think it wasn't until sort of my senior year that I started getting really into outdoor climbing, mm. which at that point I was like a decade into my climbing career. So Sport it's, climbing stole your heart. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, actually I bouldered okay. for years. Really? Yeah. After college? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't, it was like a couple years after that, that I switched to sport and then okay. switched to sport slash trad. Gotcha. And then just more and more fall down the trad rabbit hole these days. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in prep for this. I um, went back and I had listened to an interview that you did on the normal cast yeah. with Chris Clues, and I'll link to it in the show notes. It was great. It was a great interview. And you, you went into more detail there about your path and your trajectory bouldering mm-hmm. to sport and then how basically it. My understanding is that bouldering, you were just kind of hitting a wall and, and getting yep. frustrated and sport climbing really resonated at the right time. And yeah. you propelled forward with that. It sounds like a similar thing happened with your 
transition from sport climbing to track climbing. Like yeah. you got to a point where you're kind of hitting a wall again and then mm -hmm. um, you took a lateral step to this new thing. Yeah. And another thing in that interview, you were talking about something that really drives you and the climbers that you really look up to are the the climbers that appear to have no weaknesses. Yeah. They can go anywhere, do anything, any rock type, any mm -hmm. any style. So I'm really curious. I mean, we're back in Bishop. Yeah. You know, you've gone from bouldering, <laughs> sport, trad. Obviously, you can do any of it here. Mm -hmm. But is there any part of you that thinks about that, like, in cycles? Are you going to come back to bouldering to help your sport climbing, to help mm -hmm. your trad climbing? How do you think about that? Or where is all this headed, I guess? Well... Back when I was mainly bouldering, it was for the sake of bouldering, okay. you know, and now I think of it as, I don't really think of, I don't, it doesn't inspire me in the way that climbing on ropes does. Uh -huh. Something about it, I've just never really felt like I could perform at my best. Okay. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's like a mental block I've never been able to work through where I'll like go for a hard move, you know, and I just like cannot get my body to give 100% of what it's capable of. Can't get yourself to care enough yeah, about I just climbing the boulder. Can't. Yeah. And I wish I could like so badly uh -huh. because I, I've always wanted to like be better at bouldering. Huh. But, you know, over the last year or so, I've noticed that on some climbs I've worked on, I was not able... The thing that held me back was an inability to do crux moves mm. and despite it was it's not like in bouldering where i couldn't try hard enough like i just physically was not strong enough mm -hmm. and you know it's you can only like walk away from climbs for that reason for so long before you're like okay i have to just get stronger uh -huh. like maybe in order to do that i have to go bouldering and so it's either like go train in the gym which i'm not going to do right now mm -hmm. or maybe try bouldering and so i i didn't come here specifically to do that mm -hmm. but it is like kind of on my radar i i came here to transition from the joshua tree style where you climb two or three pitches a day <laughs> and they're short pitches uh -huh. <laughs> to i i just wanted to to like get into a better shape mainly for the hopes of climbing in Yosemite yeah. this spring. Yeah. So I'm not here to boulder for the sake of bouldering or to yeah, get in yeah. shape for bouldering. Although I'm I'm hoping I get inspired, you know, maybe something will change or, or finally click. Maybe through that new lens of mm -hmm. thinking about it in the context of how yeah. it will help you on these bigger objectives. Yeah. Yeah. But the goal is is more like to, to kind of do some volume and, you know, maybe... It's always, uh, you know, like, it's not just about the climbing itself that, like I was saying, that makes me really fall in love with the place. It's it's mm -hmm. like the whole scene and the act of being there and the things that happen while you're there. And so, you know, like, now that I'm here, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it'll all click and, hmm. and I'll get really stoked and I'll, I'll be like, man, Bishop is the shit. <laughs> all I want to do is highball boulder or something. You know, uh -huh. you, know there's, you can never be certain what will happen you cool. know and that's kind of you know the way i always try and approach climbing and in, in at least somewhat of an open-ended mindset hmm. which is why i end up stuck in places for so long because i'm always like who knows what'll happen i don't have a plan i'm just hoping that it'll happen and yeah that's <laughs> and cool so, you know that's kind of my approach that's a cool way to to live man i mean it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about the community side of it i mean is do you feel like you've been able to do this lifestyle the way that you've been doing it, you know, prioritizing community in the places that you go. And are you able to build on your community from place to place? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, like, 
a lot of times I'll show up to a place and this has happened kind of two years in a row in totally different ways where I'll go to a place not really knowing anybody. I'll mm-hmm. end up meeting a ton of people. I'll stay till the season ends because mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. Uh-huh. And then I'll just team up with whoever's left uh-huh. and we'll travel together Okay. for for months. And huh. they end up becoming my close friend, like some of my closest friends. And like it happened last year leaving Indian Creek. I, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to Arizona and touring Cochise and the waterfall with people that before then I had never known before, hmm. you know, and I just met them in the creek and we traveled together. And now we've met up in, you know, like tons of different places. We like went to Mexico. I've met up with them and just, you know, all over the place. And then it kind of happened in J tree too, where I, I showed up not really knowing anybody. And uh, I ended up meeting a bunch of people from California and we've now come to Bishop together and next we're going to Yosemite together. So it's, it's, you know, it's honestly like the best thing about climbing Hmm. is the people. And I think like being on the road, you realize how connected everyone actually is Hmm. because, you know, I, I was in Squamish this summer and I had this moment where I was up on uh, this climb called Eurasian eyes. That's, it's like my favorite climb in Squamish. It's so beautiful, but it's, it's on this ledge and I was up there with a couple different people who all knew each other, but I had met each one of them in completely different places. <laughs> I had met one of them in Mexico. I had met one of them in Wyoming uh-huh. like a decade before. And uh, I think I'd met the other one in Squamish or something. And, yeah, yeah. And it was like this really beautiful thing to look at like these people that were all close friends of mine and that all knew each other from different places. And I knew them from different places. And yet here we all were projecting the same route hmm. and you know like it's it's kind of surprising how often that kind of thing happens mm-hmm. or or even you know like you just you bring people together because i know like a couple different people and none of them know each other and then you know it's you form you just create your own community just like that and hmm. and or you're like oh you know this person oh where do you know them from somewhere totally different and mm-hmm. you know everyone is everyone in the climbing community is like one degree of separation from anyone else yeah totally and, and all it takes is to like travel long enough and you just start to like kind of feel connected to everyone yeah it's really really cool that's awesome i want to talk to you about your on-site climbing okay so I, of course, remember you from back in school, and then I mm-hmm. kind of was aware peripherally that you took this transition and that you got more into sport climbing. And I was always impressed with you as a climber, but then you started sport climbing and like something happened. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but you've always been, I mean, you've always been an impressive sport climber, but especially you're such a good onsite climber. It seemed like everywhere you went, I don't know, the typical thing for most people, it's about a four grade spread, you know, yeah. like if you, if your maximum red points, 13A, you can kind of hope to onsite 12A, give mm-hmm. or take one or two, you know, plus or minus yeah. one or something like that's pretty normal. Yeah. And for you, it seemed like you're always like within a grade or two, like you're always mm-hmm. onsiting really hard relative to how hard you climb and you're really consistent too. Like you mm-hmm. go on a trip and it's I don't know, you went on a road trip and maybe you'd climbed like 13A or B mm-hmm. and it's just like 12C onsite, 12C onsite, 12D onsite, 13A onsite. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, how is she, <laughs> what is she doing? So I'd love to dig into that. Do you have a specific process for preparing for an onsite try? Hmm. That's interesting. 
You know, I, I spend so much time writing and thinking and, and describing my process when it comes to projecting huh. that I don't actually like put too much thought in breaking down the the nuts and bolts of the on-siting process. Interesting. So, okay. So it's interesting to kind of think about because it is maybe, and I, I, I say this all the time, I think on-site climbing is maybe my favorite kind of climbing. Hmm. Like, I love it. I think it's so fun because something about it, you know, I, I, earlier I was talking about how in bouldering I couldn't make myself flip a switch to, like, really try hard mm-hmm. and to really climb at my full potential. But something about on-site climbing is where it's easiest for me to go into mm. that mode. I'm not overthinking things necessarily, or if I am, I'm only thinking about, you know, like what's in front of me and it's not as much that the nerves are there or anything. And and I feel like there's so much adrenaline that you can really climb at your full potential hmm. if you're on-siting at your limit. I think like also, you know, I've put so much time into climbing outside at this point that it's definitely my ability to read different rock types. And I, I've climbed on so many different rock types hmm. and put time into it, even if even if I didn't like them at first. Like, I used to hate granite. Hmm. And then, you know, kind of have had a dedicated effort at working my weaknesses and over time have come to really like all different types of rock and all different styles and angles. And I think, like, that has also... Trying to have the mindset of, like, the best climber is the one with no weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Consciously targeting a lot of my weaknesses over time has has really helped make on-siting something that I'm really good at because I can, you know, read rock pretty well and, and intuitively read sequences pretty well, which also might have come from a lot of, like, just time climbing in the gym and thinking about climbing. And yeah. I, I used to be a, a setter at the college gym. Okay, and yeah. And so I, I would think that. about movement all the time. Uh-huh. And... You know, like combining all of those things and just like a general obsession of climbing for my entire life. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, it kind of plays into the ability to like read moves intuitively. I don't I don't know like if I'm preparing for an onsite. Are you like do you study the routes from the ground? Yeah. What are you looking definitely. for? You're looking for specific things. Mm, and... Rests. Okay. That's another thing as I'm pretty good at resting for long period of okay. time, and like we're actually recovering. Are you kind and of breaking down the route ahead of time? Like I just need a little like in bit. checkpoints, like I just need to get to that rest yeah. and then I just need to get to the next rest from Yeah, there. and often I, I climb really slow when I'm okay. on sighting huh. because I don't know what's next, you know, like you never know when when you're gonna get the next rest. And so I'll stay at a rest for a really long time hmm. and like make sure that I have gotten myself as recovered as I think I possibly can be mm-hmm. before starting the next sequence and then even if it's a pretty mediocre spot to shake out, that like mm-hmm. I'll try and stop, and just sometimes it screws me over. Hmm. But a lot of times it kind of you know like allows me to slow down and pace myself enough and spend it. You know, if if I'm resting, I'm looking at what's up ahead, so it does like give me more time to kind of analyze because you know like what else are you gonna think about while you're resting other mm-hmm. than like all the possible ways that you could climb the next sequence and and how you think you want to end up in the next spot that might be somewhere you could shake out or somewhere good. So I think like kind of climbing in that way 
oh, it makes me more successful at it too. Okay. Are you the person that'll down climb like two bolts to get? Oh back to yeah, the last for sure. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know about this move, down climb. Yeah. Climb back up two bolts. I still don't really know. Yeah, I just yet. can't commit. Just you try know? to get a little inform. Yeah. A little more information every time. Uh, that describes me so accurately. One hundred percent. Huh. That's interesting. Uh, I'm one more question about that. Do you have a particular way you go about, well, two questions. First question is, do you have specific goals with on-siting? Like, I really want to on-site this route. I've kind of heard you say, like, you just basically try to go for on-sites always. Yes. Okay. That's, it's more that. (laughs) Yes. And it actually gets me into trouble. Like, (laughs) kind of, you know, and I could like list a couple times. It's the specifically situation. That's or? it's why I ended up on Weekend Whipper for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, you only get one chance. You talked about that that in so, the normal cast. Yeah. But, but what was the route? Uh, Montana Weed Connection in the creek. In the creek. Yeah. And you just, rip, you, you know, rip some gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I love to try and onsite anything. You know, yeah. like you never know. You might as well. well with gear, it's such and, a there's such a massive <laughs> other component to it. Yeah. Like, hopefully, I'm bringing all the right shit. <laughs> yep. We'll see. Yeah, and and it's such a a fun like puzzle. Hmm. But yeah, I, I just I hate to do something and then just take you know mm-hmm. and then finish it and be like I could have onsited it you know like then why didn't you mm-hmm. like why you know it's and I think like it gets me into trouble if I in situations where I should have top roped it first because it's sketchy mm. or something and mm-hmm. I I'm just like yeah fuck it I'm going for it you yeah, know and then yeah. I I get halfway up and realized that like it's actually dangerous uh-huh. there was <laughs> there was a climb this summer that i i don't know if it's rated r or not but i just and i didn't know that most people protect it with crash pads oh. just like walked up to it i had like half the gear that i needed but i had enough and it was like it was like 12b or something and uh-huh. that's like a grade that is pretty reasonable to expect to onsite yeah I so i went for it you've onsite of what like 13b or c uh 13 yeah yeah on, but this was like trad climb yeah yeah and i don't know my trad on on-site levels like 12c maybe okay and so but it was like within the realm of being reasonable i got like to the second gear placement or something and it was kind of wet oh. and <laughs> it had been raining so much and i just like didn't have the right gear and i was like i had this link cam and I was like oh, yeah, trying to smash this link cam into a pocket because like I had nothing else and I knew I was about to fall. And I like got the link cam in actually. And then uh, I fell before I could clip it. And then like I ended up like taking an upside down fall and I was super close to the ground. Oh man. And I later learned that the first gear placement, the one that had caught me, it was a blind placement. And it, it always is in the, uh-huh. on that climb. And it's notorious for ripping. So oh I just got lucky gosh. that oh it held. Gosh, yes. And yeah. it was one of those things, a sobering moment where I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't always go for the onsite. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just like the, the other one in the creek. Uh-huh. But it's it's just like, I don't know, this like temptation of the glory of the onsite. <laughs> like, I can't turn it down. I'm a sucker for it. When it turns out, it's kind of the best thing. <laughs> when it works out yeah. rather. That's cool. Do you mix in your on-site sort of climbing with, with red pointing? Like, will you focus on those at the same time, or do you kind of, like, oscillate back and forth? It kind of depends on where I am. Okay. Like, if I'm in a new area, I'll usually spend the first, like, however much time 
on sighting okay. mostly because yeah. it's like a, a good way to get to know like the style and the rock and it's really fun well that's and, interesting because i've seen some people do the exact opposite like, right they'll like work a project to really get familiar with the hardest mm-hmm. version of that area so that then they can maybe on-site some of the easier things. Mm-hmm. But you like the opposite. Yeah, because, yeah, it's I, I like to spend some time doing that. Because then you, f- you like, feel like you've accomplished something uh-huh. being in a place. Yeah. So you're not like, oh, I spent my whole time on this one thing and I didn't do it. Uh-huh. Or if I did, I and then I didn't really, like, get to know the place. Or, yeah. or like, see what all the other climbing around there was all about. If you show up somewhere and you spend a lot of time, like, on-siting and everything, then... I don't know, you like put in your time and you, you get to tick off the classics and mm-hmm. and then, you know, like if all else fails, you had like this really cool experience already, like climbing the classic routes and you got to climb a whole bunch. And, and then like, I think it just has a natural way of leading into projecting if I'm mm. somewhere long enough where it's like, okay, I've, I've done that. I've, I've done the first stepping stone and now I'm ready for the next one, which is to find a project and I won't feel like I'm missing out on experiencing all of these other things because I've just been so focused on one climb. Huh. Do you usually finish stuff off if you don't get the onsite? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Do I don't you... like to leave. I hate leaving things unfinished. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I it is. I kind of thought so. Yeah. I'm so stubborn. <laughs> I, I hate people, to walk like, away. you the list checker. You're like, yeah. gotta, like cross all the things off the mm-hmm. list. Um, do you like to try to wrap stuff up that same day, like the next try, or do you like keep going? If I going? can, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because you never know if you're ever going to come back to something. Okay. Especially, you know, like... I'm totally the same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. There's never a guarantee that you'll find partners that want to go back or uh-huh. whatever it is. The weather might go bad or you might get injured or get psyched on something else, you know? Yeah, yeah. The draws are on it. Yeah, exactly. Moves are fresh in your yeah. mind. Holds are chalked and whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have a specific way you try to warm up for hard on sites? Not any different than normal warming up. Okay. I just find it interesting because you, I find it challenging for myself at least because like you don't really know what to expect as much hmm. and the pace is really different. Mm-hmm. Like if I do my normal warm ups that I do for like a red point day, yeah. I don't always feel like that prepares me for like the slow, like hang on forever mm-hmm. kind of tenacity that you need for yeah. For on-siding, I'll get like heinously flash pumps sometimes <laughs> making that shift. So, but you just do. Well, I'm a little uh, careless about warming up a lot of times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just don't put that much effort into it. Okay. And I, maybe I should, maybe that's why I like got tendonitis all of a sudden, huh. <laughs> but uh, I've always kind of just climbed one or two pitches mm-hmm. at, you know, like a level that might be like an on-site that wouldn't be too challenging mm-hmm. something i could should like reasonably expect to on-site mm-hmm. as a warm-up which i guess kind of like i i always i don't like to repeat routes really. yeah yeah even warm-ups you mm-hmm. know i would always rather climb something new okay and i think so maybe that kind of puts me in the right mindset for on-siting without even being intentional about it because mm-hmm. i've already warmed up my brain for it and my body for it on an easier climb mm-hmm. but that's more of just like my general approach to warming up, which okay. is either I'll... Just don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I more and more have been climbing in these areas, especially with trad where... Right. Somewhere like climb, J-Tree, that makes sense. Yeah. The climb you go to is the only thing there. Okay. And so you're like, well, guess I'm not going to well, warm up. Well, that and just the skin. Like you yeah. Sh- you just oh, yeah. You just do so too. much skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm actually coming around more and more recently to like 
do some stuff with some bands, bring yeah. like a portable hangboard. I am too, but yeah. slowly. Okay. Very slowly yeah. coming around to it because I'm just, I'm lazy. Does it ever like ruin uh, your climbing day? Like uh, you get no. stubborn trying to like grit through some onsite <laughs> with bad beta and like get all flush pumped and. I mean, I can definitely like gas out doing something like that. And, yeah. But I don't think it ever ruins my day. Okay. If I'm in that mindset that I'm not trying to like do a million things that are at my limit that day you know i'm probably just trying to sample gotcha and so if i like say i went for like a 12d on site and Uh i got super flash pumped and i blew it and i'd either like well then i'd be probably projecting that climb for the day Uh or if i decided not to for some reason i'd probably be like no that didn't happen so now i'm gonna go try and on site a bunch of 12as or something Mm. because that sounds like fun Mm -hmm. and you know i'm still like within a challenging level but it's not as difficult because i'm kind of tired so mm-hmm. i would just like tone it down a bit okay if that happened so with like the 12d situation if you fell at like the top of a root on your onside try mm-hmm. would you try to suss it all out on the lower and then give it a second go yeah okay yeah i try and work out the beta for sure okay versus like coming back up at another try to work it mm-hmm. all out you'd rather nah. just... <laughs> <laughs> You don't get to check that second go box. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're past that days of ground up only. <laughs> that's that's not what I meant. I just meant from like, if you're like exhausted after like oh, a full out on- yeah. onside try. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. How do you think about learning it and, and breaking it down for the next, for the red point? I think I would just decide like, do I like this route? Is this worth doing? Do I care? Okay. Most of the time, yes. Uh-huh. But sometimes I'll be like, man, this route sucked. Like, uh-huh. I'm over it. I'm not going to try this again. Okay. So, I don't know. I feel like most of the time I would just work it out and then... Because if you like, you just rest at the chains for a while or mm-hmm. on the rope and then it... Often it's one of two situations. You rest long enough that it doesn't seem so bad anymore and you work it out. <laughs> or you can't repeat moves you've already done uh-huh. on the onsite because you're <laughs> operating on pure adrenaline and you're like oh, what i don't even know how i did this and then you're just like well <laughs> move oh, that, on <laughs> yeah that's super interesting huh um do you have any beta or tips for van life hmm um maybe things that help you feel grounded on the mm. road when you're moving around all the time or option two would be very tangible practical tips like little convenient things for organization Mm. or something like that i'm not a very organized person (laughs) i do if you go in my van it it does have a a a very nice ambiance i know uh, i noticed your marauders map on the wall yeah (laughs) you've got some great art it's all mine and things like that that's Um, pretty fun because i i do make art quite a bit and so yeah i decorated my van in a, a way that felt like a home for uh-huh. me because yeah. like i i was talking about earlier you know like that's something that matters having it feel like a home and and even like my crv felt like my home huh. because i just had like an attachment to it mm-hmm. and i've always been really attached to the vehicles i've owned because it's it's kind of i i see like your your vehicle as like your ticket to freedom mm. and so because of that i've always been more attached to like my car than any apartment or anything I've ever lived in. <laughs> that's cool. And so that's kind of like made it easier for me to feel comfortable in like a perma road trip sort of mindset. There are certainly moments where I'm like sleeping somewhere and I'm not comfortable there because it's really foreign or mm. I'm worried that someone's going to knock on my window or it doesn't feel safe. And, and I just like, I'm very stressed and uncomfortable. Mm. And 
I'm still like working on strategies to to feel more comfortable in those situations. Mm-hmm. If it's like a place I don't know well, or like a rest stop or something, so I I do try and like find places where I can surround myself with similar people. Mm-hmm. I think usually makes me feel the best about like living in a vehicle and living on the road. And that's like like I was talking about. You know, I just, I keep circling back to this, like, being around similar people sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. That has always, like, grounded me a lot because, like, Bishop, for example, you know, everyone, people sleep all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, like, every different parking lot, you know, or, or, like, dirt road is someone's beta. And that's, like, a little challenging because I'm not consistently going to the same place with the same people. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, ah, what am I going to do? You know, this is really stressful and... It's so different than being like, oh, we live at the campground. This Mm. is my campsite. It's like having an address, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. (laughs) You were saying the other night you like to stay places longer so you Mm -hmm. can kind of like settle in. Yeah. So there's not really any tips in there, but that's kind of like what what makes me feel the most grounded when I live in my car. Cool. I think one of the, the challenges and things that I am slowly like trying to figure out is shower beta (laughs) (laughs) like i don't i don't care that much about showering but i do care a bit Uh and you know like learning like what to look for in different areas and same for like finding internet and finding places that i can charge my computer yeah it's always like okay where are the libraries Mm -hmm. mcdonald's starbucks you know like because mcdonald's has really fast free wi-fi and it's usually pretty quiet they don't play loud music do you buy um, anything when you go in there? No. It's McDonald's. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a coffee, uh-huh. but usually not. Yeah. Um, but more and more, <laughs> no. I've, uh, ones I've been to like don't have plugs, uh-huh. which is weird. Huh. But like Starbucks is good because, you know, if you go to a Starbucks, you don't feel obligated to buy something. Whereas if you go to like a local coffee shop, mm. you probably should buy something because uh-huh. it's like a small business and, and you don't want to just take advantage of them. At least I don't. Gotcha. So, you know, like I often will choose like a bigger chain. Mm-hmm. When it comes to something like that, or like I always will, my first choice is always a library because it's quiet. Okay. And they have tons of outlets and they usually are open long hours. The only downside is that you can't, you know, like usually can't bring food in. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is hard for working. Mm-hmm. You know, you're there all day. Mm-hmm. So that's like one thing that I'm trying to sort out constantly is the beta for like where to work and then like where to shower. It's often like where's the rec center or like. Mm. Where's a hotel with a pool that you can access from the outside. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Or like a hostel or... What's the longest you think you've gone without showering in the last year or two? Um, Not too long. Maybe like a week and a half. Okay. Nothing nothing too bad. That's nothing crazy. Yeah. Nice. All right. You must be figuring out the beta pretty well then. Mm, I just... (laughs) I start to smell really bad really quick. (laughs) (laughs) It means you're trying hard. Yeah. Good for you. Is there anything you wish you'd known when you were first leaving Bellingham or first kind of striking out on the road? Well, I think one of the biggest challenges that I have faced, and this is entirely a personal challenge, is learning to be, and I just like learning to be more patient in general, but especially driving. Hmm. Um, For a very long time, and I, I just had really bad road rage. And this was before I ever, like, set out on the road. And it was sort of, like, a thing that I forced myself to learn to manage better before I would allow myself to live in a car because I was so afraid of, like, 
starting like an indefinite road trip and crashing immediately and huh. then it's like all of my stuff and yeah. all of my my home and it's all gone you know in an instant because of like a, a mistake that could have really easily been avoided had i been a little more patient hmm. and calm and not just been like angry and impulsive and so that was something that was like really challenging to find how to deal with and kind of between college and when I actually started traveling full-time I did have like a number of things happen because I was a bad driver hmm. and I learned a lot from them but they were some pretty big mistakes okay you know like I, I just really had to learn the hard way that that was something I had to deal with hmm this like character flaw let's call it and i don't want to look back with any regret for anything that's happened in my life but that's something that i wish i hadn't had to learn the hard way Hmm. was to be a better driver (laughs) (laughs) the patience thing yeah does that extend beyond the driving too oh absolutely yeah (laughs) the other day i was uh i was with um some friends packing up to leave the craig and i was I uh, made some comment that was like, hurry up, you know, and, uh-huh. and um, the response was like, you're in an awful rush for someone with nowhere to go because you're just going back to camp, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like I'm always working on trying to be like the best partner I can be for yeah. like, my climbing partners. And, and sometimes I feel really impatient, you know, like on a long belay or, hmm. you know, whatever it is. And, uh, or if someone wants to stay later at the crag, but I want to leave or, it just it comes up in every part of life being an impatient person and so it is like an eternal thing that i i'm sure i'll be working on it the rest of my life yeah. but uh do you area struggle for growth <laughs> right on <laughs> do you struggle with impatience with yourself oh yeah yeah i don't know specifically but yeah definitely it seems like the i guess the reason i thought of that is it seems like you maybe that's like the double-edged sword of having the drive that you do, mm-hmm. having the high expectations for yourself that you do. Yeah. It seems like it might be, that's the crux of it is having grace for yourself when mm-hmm. you're falling short of your uh, your own expectations and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. If I have like a clear vision of who I want to be mm-hmm. and I look at myself and that's not what I see. Mm. And I, I, I see like this person that looks like they, have so far to go to be like who I want to be. That's hard to find acceptance of and patience with because I I want to get there. I want to be there. Like I I have a goal. And and... it's it's always a moving target, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I bet bet you're way past where that arbitrary marker was for Mm -hmm. yourself like 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Like I'm sure you've surpassed it in basically every way, but the target moves. Yeah. There's no finish line, (laughs) you know? Well, that's cool. You've made leaps and bounds, and it seems like you're you're headed in the right direction, Brittany. Um, do you read much? Off and on. Okay. You know, I go in waves. Kind of you... depends on how much free time I have that is spent alone versus... I'll usually choose to hang out with other people if they're around, but if I don't really have that option or uh-huh. if I I'm just find myself alone, then yeah, I like to read. But. Do you have a most impactful book that you've read in the last couple of years? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that I've been like really obsessed with, with climbing history. Yeah. And, uh, I know that you read it too, The yeah. Hangdog Days I, by yeah. Jeff Smoot. Uh-huh. That really like and you're helped. In it. <laughs> insp- I'm in it, yes. Uh, that like got me to open it, but then I was really, really into just the tales of the 
era of like the dirtbag and mm-hmm. and um sort of that paired with Lynn Hill's autobiography. Okay. Which I read when I was seventeen. Is it climbing free. Yeah. That, yeah. That book really changed my life because that was I'll link to both those in the show. That was my first exposure. Oh, I have it. Really? You can borrow it. Oh, right on. I'd love to. Um, yeah. It was my first exposure to like the the idea that you could drop everything huh. to pursue the love of climbing. Hmm. I'd never even entertained that idea. And then hmm. I read her book and it showed me that that was the thing that people did. Hmm. And, you know, for a really long time, I thought people do, but like not you. And hmm. then at some point, you know, that all changed. But it was, I just like planted the seed in the back of my head that it was like, people do this. Hmm. Yeah. Then, then reading Jeff Smoot's book last year, just like, kind of helped birth this this obsession with like climbing historic routes Hmm. and it was sort of also like the aftermath of city park Mm -hmm. um, because like the history of that route i'd never really been exposed to like being a part of the story of a climb before Uh and then you know like that all unfolded and i felt like i was in this story oh cool and it made me want more of that and it made me want to like look for other climbs that have stories and then learn more about the people that created the story. And there's so much climbing history in so many areas that, you know, like, unless you seek it out, it's not really apparent. And, and so I, I I recently, I ordered Warren Harding's book. Oh, interesting. And it's got shipped to J tree and now I'm in Bishop. So I don't have it yet. (laughs) I didn't even know it was out there, but then a friend told me about it. Huh? I read Royal Robbins's book back in like 2012 and mm-hmm. it was super cool. Those all like were kind of impactful too. Mm-hmm. As far as being a part of a story or being part of a route that has a story, I remember at some point when you were maybe earlier in your sport climbing, there was a period where you were hanging out with people that were bolting and you, I think you mm-hmm. bolted some routes and did yeah. some development. Is that something that's on your radar? Like paving your own path and mm. finding new stuff and... It used to be. I okay. used to be really interested in developing. And I think that was kind of the aftermath of being really obsessed with route setting mm-hmm. back in my gym climbing days mm-hmm. and transitioning into climbing outdoors more. I saw bolting as like this creative process of like creating, you know, like a route for other people. And I was really psyched on it for a while. And I haven't really felt much of a spark for it in the last couple of years, I think, because it's sort of changed into more of this like obsession with the history. Mm. And I think it was cause I, I wasn't really on my radar that like the story already existed and like you could write yourself into it mm. by climbing these routes. Mm-hmm. And instead it was kind of like, you know, the only way I saw it was to start from scratch because, you know, climbs that already existed were climbs that existed. You know, they're just rock climbs. Mm. But then uh, over time I sort of came to learn that they're, you know, so much more hmm. than just rock climbs. And, and if it starts in 2020, it's such a short story, you know, it's just your own story. But if it started in the eighties or if it started <laughs> in the sixties or something, it's, if it's already impacted all of these people over the years, like people I admire and look up to or total strangers, you know, and everyone in between, then like, there's so much more to it than that. Hmm. You know, if it's already been there for so long, Mm-hmm. especially if it's like shut a bunch of people down you know it's, <laughs> or like it's got some kind of lore to it yeah it, it adds so much to i love it, that that climb. draws you that's yeah. pretty cool yeah that's awesome what's waiting for you in yosemite 
Uh, learning. Learning. I would say. Nice. Uh, I've always, you I've always dreamed of going to Yosemite, and I've always been afraid of going to Yosemite. Okay. Because I see it as like this pilgrimage that that all, all the great climbers have made, mm. and yet I've never really known how to navigate the scene there. I don't know how to big wall, and I didn't want to go without some sort of like, I don't know, some some foot in the door. Mm. I would say that could like. I didn't want to just show up and and hope to figure things out because mm-hmm. I was just it just seemed like a really intimidating prospect, you know, like a different kind of rock. Yeah, it's just different granite, you know, and granite different granite was always hard for me to learn. Huh. It always takes a while transitioning from index to Squamish to J Tree to Shirley Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Did you find mm-hmm. that? Did you find that foot oh. in the door? That connection? Uh, yeah, the okay. people I met in J Tree. They're all heading and, out there. Yeah, nice. That's like big part of why I'm going. Yeah. And just like, you know, I don't know anything about big walling. And so it's something I've always like wanted to do, but been afraid to go for hmm. because I didn't know if I was going to like it or all the unknowns essentially mean that this vision I have of what the experience will be like going there is really outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to like take a big leap outside of your comfort zone, no matter what it is and who you are. So it's it's always kind of like been a thing I haven't done yet mm-hmm. because it just seems, you know, even though it probably logistically and realistically is not that far out of like anything of the realm of anything I've already done, uh-huh. it seems like it. It feels like it. It, it feels. It really feels like it. Yeah. And yeah. So. It's yeah, I've I've never gone for that reason and so I I hope to go with the attitude that I will be learning the new rock, learning like if I'm interest if I'm actually like enjoy sleeping on a wall or projecting something thousands of feet off the ground uh-huh. cuz I would hopefully like it and try and free something hard on El Cap and yeah, sick. you know like take my climbing and another step forward. Yeah. I see, I see like if, if it does all work out and click into place, I see it as like a step forward in my climbing that I would like to take. Awesome. So hopefully it will do some of those things. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any aspirations to do any single pitch projecting there? Are you going to yeah. jump in both feet? No, the... I, I want to do some single pitches okay. there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Ever since reading Hangdog days. I've yeah. I've wanted to do the stigma. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because uh-huh. I tell people about it because it it's it's got a really cool story. Yeah, and I always bring it up. They're like, "What do you want to do in Yosemite?" I'm like, "Oh, the stigma," and uh, no one's ever heard of it. Really? That, no, nobody do they knows. They call it the renegade. No, they just they don't they know don't what know it either. is. Huh. I'm like, it's at the Cookie Cliff. And I'm yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> But that's like... Um, so what is it for, for listeners? Uh, it's just a, a climb put up by Todd Skinner. He was on a quest to put up the first 514, and he thought that this climb might be it. Uh, he climbed it on pre-placed pins, and then he left a note at the base to please leave the pins so that other people could do it. And by the next day, the pins were gone because mm-hmm. people hated his ethics of not going ground up on climbs. Uh, what's more, they went and pinned it out so that it was easier. Mm. And then Alan Watts came and did it second try, placing all the gear on lead, hoping that like doing it in the better style would appease the anti-hangdoggers. But they were still super against it, and he got a bunch of flack for it. 
Oh yeah, and Todd Skinner renamed it as the Renegade. Uh-huh. It was originally the Stigma, and it was an aid line, and so it goes at like 13B now, and it's just like a Pinscard crack. But I really like Pinscars, and I really <laughs> like Todd Skinner, and it's sort of like I I just I really want to do it as as like it's this other Todd Skinner climb with a story and yeah and <laughs> I don't know it just it's so cool to yeah. me. And then I'd like to check out the Phoenix and Cosmic Debris and Mm. just kind of the other, you know, hard single pitch crack climbs. You talked about wanting to climb 514 on gear. Yeah. Do you have any specific candidates? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I've got like a few things in my mind, but I don't have specific plans to go do them. Okay. I hate to like name drop a bunch of things because I right. I'm not I'm not a fan of the pre spray. Nice. Yeah. I like to you know I'm not afraid to share my goals if I think they're like really tangible uh-huh. and I have like specific plans to go do them, but I don't want to like pre spray about things that might be way out of my league and got you. You know. Nice. Uh, I'd rather you know get a foot in the door first and and uh, I know that like it's a really realistic goal because I've climbed multiple. 13Ds that are very sandbagged and mm-hmm. in a lot of areas they would be 14A, but you know, I'm not not trying to upgrade anything. I, yeah. w- I want to like do it right. Nice. And you know, there there are less than 10 women in the world that have climbed 14A on gear Hell or yeah. 514 on gear, and so it's it'd be a big deal. And, yeah. and I I would love to like join those ranks at some point, but I don't know what will be the thing that that opens that door okay. yet. Got you. I've got ideas, but you never know. In the meantime, a <laughs> bunch of 513s yeah. to, to do. I've tried a few. I've yeah. tried some 14s. Nice. On gear. Okay. They're so hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason not very many people do it. Yeah. They're scary too. It's going to bring you back to bouldering, Brittany. <laughs> it probably it's will. It's totally going to. Yeah. They just, they just stop becoming... <laughs> They're just not really crack climbs after a while, right? Yep, You're exactly. Just bouldering with gear. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Excited <laughs> to see what happens. You're gonna get psyched on Bishop. I just know it. <laughs> what is something uh, that you're especially grateful for recently? Oh, yeah. you could probably guess what I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. What are you gonna say? Oh, the people I've met. Nice. Yeah. Looking back on the last, I don't know, year of my life or two years of my life. I owe everything that I've accomplished to the people that have supported me Hmm. and every treasured memory to the people I've met. And it just like, I, none of it would mean anything if it weren't for all of the things that happen, like in between, in between climbs and in between burns, Mm -hmm. you know, if your entire life climbing on the road was defined by just the time you spent on the rock your day would boil down to like an hour or your life would boil down to like an hour a day of meaning. But you know, it all like to me comes down to the things that happen around the climbing as well as the climbing. And Mm. so much of that is just like time spent shared in beautiful places with the people that like are, are there to share it with you. And, and I am always just so grateful that, I have the opportunity to like live in a car and travel all the time and have a job that lets me do that. And at the end of the day, it is like sharing all of that with the people around me that gives it any meaning whatsoever. So that's what I'm grateful for. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. 
So it seems like you really romanticize the dirtbag lifestyle, you know, reading <laughs> reading Lynn Hill's book, reading mm-hmm. Hangdog Days, thinking about these men and women that came before you doing all these things. Yeah. Has it lived up to it? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's yeah. That's so awesome. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, you know, I <laughs> I feel like since I set out to, you know, no longer live a status quo life, it just gets better and better and better. Hmm. It's like every place I go, every every like month that I live is like the new best best month of my life or like That's best so awesome. place that I've gone and and it, it just it all feels like who I was always supposed to be and hmm. and like what I was always supposed to do once I finally figured out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. So it it really has. Hmm. In that interview with uh with Chris on the normal cast, you were talking about your shock blonde hair and kind of Mm -hmm. this look that you have and i'm paraphrasing but you said something to the extent of you're saying that you had been trying to make an effort to embrace who you are yeah because that hadn't always been easy for you yeah from my perspective it seems like you've really leaned into that and Mm -hmm. and you've really found yourself in this path you've taken and and it seems to be really working with you and it's really fun to see so oh yeah cheers to you and i'm really excited to see what happens from here? Thanks. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Any final thoughts for, for climbers, trad climbers, mm. dirtbaggers, van lifers, brownie eaters? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. There are so many things that I kind of end up having as themes that I talk about a lot mm-hmm. that I will just end up repeating myself if I try to throw in <laughs> any more nuggets of wisdom. Okay. I'll just be like, oh, Wait, I'll just say something and then I'll end up going on a long tangent about it. And then I'll be like, wait, that's the whole thing. That's what all I've said this whole time already. <laughs> right on. Well, if you think of anything new that we missed, then you can just text me on that. I'll yeah. add to the show notes. We can do an addendum. Yeah. We can Skype call and do an addendum from Yosemite. That sounds after good. After you've checked out the stigma. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. This has been super fun. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Enjoy Bishop. Yeah, I will do my very best. <laughs> right on. Cheers.